The Crux of the Matter, episode 47, live at Holy Cross. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors, and kind of anybody else who wants to listen. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Man, it's, it's like see you for once. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. It's like you're right next to me. I know. It's so cool. We see each other on a screen, but it's, right. it's the first time we've done this together live, yep. face to face in yep. the flesh. Yep, very fun. So we are um, at my congregation, Holy Cross in Rockland, and we, and uh, and you've just kind of done a seminar for us yesterday, and we're at my Sunday morning Bible class. So uh, what was the seminar you did yesterday? Well, since I teach bioethics at um, Concordia and also theology, uh, you were gracious to invite me uh, to come up here and talk a little bit about bioethical questions and some of the controversies. And and we spent, I think, about four hours yesterday, all told, diving into some really uh, important issues. And and it was a lot of fun. It was a a lot of fun. We had a a great time, about 50, 60 people here, something like that. And it was uh, it was definitely a lot of fun. So it is uh, it's very good to actually see you in the flesh for uh, for once in a long time. Yeah. Um, what I thought we'd do for this morning is uh, is talk a little bit about what it means to be a pastor in the 21st century, and what are some of the challenges that the church faces today when it comes to our life and ministry together. Mostly, what we do is kind of talk. Uh, talk directly to pastors and kind of pastoral care issues, but um, obviously the church is kind of a package deal, right? <laughs> we have, and my congregation is all looking at me very silently, like they're afraid that uh, they're going to make a noise and ruin everything. Oh, believe me, you're not going to ruin anything, <laughs> so it's all good. Um, but uh, but there are so many issues, and it's and it's always a matter of both the pastor and the congregation. So uh, I think you and I could talk about that for just a second, sure. and then we'll we'll sort of open up the floor to either ask questions or kind of ask uh, people can uh, can just ask whatever they want, and we'll do our best to try and uh, try and answer it. So I'll maybe throw in a little bit of stump the pastor or something. I don't know, stump the professor. I would prefer. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> so if you were to uh, if you were to describe the challenge of what what it means to be a pastor in a Lutheran Church in the 21st century, where would you start? Um, well, there, there's uh, a lot of ways to begin that answering that question. But I think one thing would be that many of the assumptions that people in the society in general and people in the pews, many of the assumptions about God and right and wrong and ethics and, and uh, you know our relationship to God and to one another, a lot of these just basic, I don't even know if you want to use the term Judeo-Christian assumptions about life, that uh, we've kind of been running on the fumes of this Christendom for quite some time. And I think that that period of time is dying out and we're running, we're coming into a period where there's sort of a neo pagan or neo barbarism um, where the values and many of the assumptions, worldview type assumptions that uh, have helped facilitate the preaching of the gospel. Those assumptions are largely gone. And so we need to not only proclaim the gospels clearly and winsomely as we can, but we sometimes we need to take, a couple steps back and start to ask, answer questions that that people are asking, like who is God and what what does it matter that God if my, right. God exists or not? And who am I? And who, who, what does it what mean? Am I? What it, right? What does it even mean to be to be human? I I like that uh, that picture of the fumes 
of Christendom. I feel like in so many in so many ways, what we uh, what we sort of see and face and and recognize as challenges all the time is I don't know. It's just this this sense of everybody everybody kind of assumes that you know what right and wrong are, and that we have a more or less similar view to kind of how to live your life. Don't steal, don't kill other people, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, you know, kind of 10 commandments stuff that that's there. Um, but time and time again, we're seeing that those, those assumptions, as you, as you put it, those, those presuppositions are, are kind of up for grabs in many ways in a way that was not the case uh, 20 years ago, certainly 50 Certainly, fifty years ago. So there, are, so there was a time when you would have, when you could say, if you saw somebody on the on, if you saw somebody who was in danger, was being attacked, that the presumption would be that you would you would help them somehow. Maybe that's call the police. Maybe that's physically intervene something. But today, as you know, we saw in those uh, attacks attacks that happened over uh, uh, over New Year's in, in Cologne, Germany. That's just not the case anymore, and uh, I don't know. Kind of, kind of scares me. Well, it concerns me too. And I, I think um, one other example. I just, I often use this example. I was a pastor in Pittsburgh. I had a young woman who um, wanted to join our church and eventually did join the church. But um, very interesting. She grew up in the Midwest. Okay, so we're talking about a. A typical American young person in her 20s. She was a college student going to Carnegie Mellon University. And so very intelligent as well. And, uh, and, and, but she grew up in a, in a non-religious home altogether. And apparently she never watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special either. Because she did not know the Christmas story. Really? No. This was, and I think we're find, I'm finding that you know, there's, a, there's sort of a cultural literacy uh, you know, about basics of Christianity basics of, of uh, the Bible that we really have to start back and at least in some cases, take a few steps back and, and go with the, you know, really the basic stuff. And, and uh, instead of assuming they already know some of those things and diving into other things that they're not even ready yet. Right. Ready for. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. You think everybody knows Luke About too. Bethlehem, right. the angels, and right. the shepherds. How can you she, not know that? She knew well, it had something to do with the birth of Jesus, but she didn't really know. She did not know the story, and she was ama- you know, and delighted to, to learn the story. But uh, this wasn't someone that this was a, a, a normal uh, person grew up in in the Midwest, United States, educated, uh, but her her parents never went to church, and right. uh, she was kind of rebelling against that and going to church right. uh, as a college student. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, wow. right. I mean, that, that was neat. Um, yeah. And she, she ended up, uh, she did end up becoming baptized. So. How about that? Yeah. yeah I, I, um, I haven't had that precise experience, but not that, not that far off either. Mm-hmm. You know, not that, not that far off. Um, I can, and how does that change what we do collectively as a church? If, uh, if we have a visitor, if we have somebody come in off the streets or we're, we're meeting and count, you know, it, with people in our vocations and our daily lives, um, we can't presume that they that they know those kind of basic stories. Never mind what they mean, <laughs> and whether you know, kind of whether we agree with them or not. I, I kind of think, in many ways, uh, Lutherans have a have a tendency uh, 
and I don't know, maybe it's not fair to pick on Lutherans, but since we're all Lutherans, I suppose we ought to. Um, but Lutherans, Lutherans do kind of have a tendency to, to get very inward looking. And, and so we're going to argue about predestination with our Presbyterian neighbor or, uh, or whatever, whatever it is and forget that, that it may be that our neighbor, you know, isn't worried about double predestination, but actually doesn't, doesn't know about who God is at all. Has no real conception of the Trinitarian nature of God yeah. or that yeah, Jesus is none the Son of, of God and what we mean by that, what the church has always meant by that, understood that to mean from right. the scriptures. Right. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So it's kind of some of the some of the stuff that we that we talk and think about uh, along the along the way. I think this would probably be a good time to at least uh, start opening it up to questions or comments or thoughts, if any of you had, if you were asked the question, what's the biggest challenge to the Christian church today, how would you answer it? And what, and kind of where would you, where would you go with a question like that? Anybody want to take a, take a stab at it or, uh, or, or give us a, give us a thought on it? Yeah, Rick. So the question is, how do you, how do you keep the church relevant in, in today's society? I, I think that's a that's a uh, an excellent an excellent question, and, and you will certainly hear very often. I think um, the thought the thought of you know why why are you bothering with this? I don't need the church. I have whatever the internet or something uh, along the way. That's a good question. How would you answer that? It's a you know a lot of churches are striving for relevance, and um, uh, you know with the best of intentions, and I don't always think that the things that we undertake to try to be relevant are truly relevant. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we just become faddish and follow fads. And I, I think we want to be careful of that. There's something about the gospel that should be timeless, is timeless um, and eternal. And so I, you know, I, I, I don't think let's just try to be hip, you know, is the way to be relevant. But I do think there is um, a way that we can be relevant and, and communicate the, the church has always communicated the gospel in the terms and in the context in which it has existed. If you look through church history, the ancient church fathers felt that it was important that they know Greek philosophy, and that they know a little bit about some of the Roman poets and some of this kind of material, so that they could communicate the gospel uh, to the peasants and to the highly educated, to everyone in society. And I think that one thing that the church can do and must do is... is uh, uh, Become studious or students of of the world, and and that you know my particular niche is, is bioethics and and some of that. But I think that it and I mentioned this yesterday. I think that it would be very valuable if our church were to stress the importance of people being highly educated in theology, knowing what it is that we believe and why we believe it, and what we don't believe and why we don't believe those things. But also developing expertise in fields like literature and science and. Um, sociology and psychology and medicine and, and, and other things like that so that we can converse with the society and with the trends and that we can respond in a way that is that's intelligible. A lot of times we're trying to answer questions people aren't asking and sometimes we're um, you know, we're, we're, they're asking questions and, and we're not giving the answer to the questions that they're, that they're asking. Um, so I think we need to Make an effort. By we, I don't necessarily mean that everybody has to become 
you know, interested in bioethics, particularly, or everybody has to go out and get an MA in, in literature. But as a, as a church, as a community, as a body, I think it'd be good that we emphasize having some ability, expertise outside of theology and with theology so that we can communicate to the society in which we're placed. God has put us. Yeah. I'll say I'm into that. That makes sense. Um, the, the thought that occurred to me um, with that question was the, the quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And uh, just kind of getting at that same sense of uh, you, the desire to become relevant uh, can quickly actually make you irrelevant very quickly because by the time you get there, was it the the Wayne Gretzky line? You don't you don't you don't hit the puck. You don't go to where the puck is. You go to where the puck's going to be. <laughs> and so you have to you have to think about okay, where are we heading? And that doesn't mean abandoning um, traditional forms and and traditional language, but it does mean kind of knowing what's going on so that we can actually converse intelligently about it. Yeah, Ada and then Heather. All right. So so the first kind of question or comment or thought, as I as I understand it, Ada, is um, is how Christian Christians or Christianity is kind of mocked or belittled or kind of taken over, maybe that's almost the best way to put it, in our society. And Christmas is a perfect example of that, where Christmas doesn't really have much at least it seems like it doesn't have much to do with the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ anymore. And is is about Santas and elves on shelves. And I don't even understand what that is, but that's another Earth. story. That's another story, I guess. Um, and, and all, yeah, get relevant and, and all sorts of things. So, so that's kind of a thought or question number one. And then the second is, um, is how, how do we, uh, understand ourselves individually as witnesses. So this isn't just a kind of hide behind a hide behind a corporate or hide behind an institution like the church is. Okay. That's the church's job. So I don't have to do it, but that this is something that we are each individually responsible for. So those are kind of the two, the two ideas. You want to tackle either of those? Any, any thoughts on that? Well, it does seem, it does seem like uh, Christianity is the one thing, uh, the one group that it's still okay to make fun of. And uh, mm-hmm. that we can be the butt of jokes and mockery in the media and in, in pop culture and whatnot. Um, and our beliefs can be um, demeaned and degraded. And that seems to be just fine. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we ought to respond in kind. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it, it's always been that way. I, it, 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 not always to the same extent in every single place and every time. But, you know, people have often looked at Christians and thought, well, those people are just dumb. Um, I, I'm thinking of a, uh, a piece of graffiti that dates uh, probably to the late first century, and it's called the Alexandrinus Graffito. <laughs> graffito is the singular of graffiti. Right. I learned that recently. I knew it, but I learned it again. And um, so, someone we're in familiar the, with random words being talked about. Is that right? Here, so, yeah. <laughs> so, somebody in the in the late first century, early second century, made some anti-Christian graffiti in Rome in which they drew a man on a cross with a donkey's head. Okay, and this was meant to be an insult, right? You wouldn't take that any other way, I don't think. And the writing was, Alexander, and there's a man praying to this man on a cross. 
And someone wrote on there, Alexandrus worships his god. You know, uh, you know, the, a donkey. It's ridiculous. But what's really cool is that on the on the wall in next to that, in a different handwriting, someone else wrote, Alexandrus is faithful. <laughs> so we don't want to become over-defensive. Um, to, to some extent, it's always the Christianity has often been the object of, of uh, persecution and, and, and mockery of, at some level. Um, I do think we ought to try to be winsome. I do think we ought to try to, uh, at times, respond to some of the uh, untruths or misunderstandings about Christianity people have. I do that all the time, you know, where, where people are, are telling me what Christianity means. And, and, and it's like, well, no, I don't think that's quite right. Which I, don't, I, I would make fun of what you're thinking of, too. You know, that's not what Christianity is. So there's a lot of misunderstandings about Christianity. I think we have to try, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to, to be winsome and to communicate clearly. Um, but also not to be surprised when uh, when uh, people object or re- or refuse us, reject us. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, are you kind of telling me that I can't be a crabby Lutheran? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I'm the last person to uh, complain about being that's, crabby. That's maybe. The, yeah, that's right. Maybe the second to last. There actually may be some uh, competition there on that. Um, but. I see uh, I'm at Heather and then Walt at this point, but I'm not done with Ada yet. Um, her question, her second question was a, was kind of, or sort of a statement was that we have to understand ourselves as, as witnesses individually. And there's, and there's kind of a, um, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of a twofold emphasis, I think in the church that, when we gather together, we gather together, receive God's gifts, receive the forgiveness of sins, life and salvation um, to be to be strengthened. Um, and, and that happens. And as a result of that, uh, we go out into the world and confess Christ um, in our in our lives, in our in our vocation, if you want to use Lutheran Lutheran language. And so. So in my, in my mind, kind of how we how we do that is is first of all recognize my own need to be fed, my own need to be cared for, and and that the church is a place where I am fed and forgiven and encouraged, and cared for. That I hear the law and gospel, that I receive Christ, um, that all of these things take place. Um, as a result of that, in my life, in my vocation. As a husband, father, um, what you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever your vocation may be, that I am going to live that out, um, and that I daily have opportunity to confess Christ. And as the culture gets more and more ignorant or hostile toward Christianity. It is going to become more and more important for us as Christians to know who we are and what we believe so that I can uh, speak of the hope that is that is within me, as St. Peter puts it. Mm. <laughs> what, what, is, what is your success as a pastor, not your challenge? I like that. There's, there's always someone that has to turn it on their ear yeah. along, along the way. It's 
So are you asking what does success look like or how do we define success? Yeah. Is that, I think or like what, what's successful? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Or um, I'll go first okay. and say martyrdom has historically <laughs> been really successful. I mean, if you want to, I mean, success is a tricky word and that's kind of where the crabby Lutheran radar goes up, at least for me. Um, because when I think of the term success, I'm sort of instantly transported into business sales, kind of profit loss statements and that, and that kind of language, and that, which is kind of foreign to the church. Um, but at the same time, um, uh, maybe I don't know what success looks like. I definitely know what failure looks like, <laughs> or at least I think I do. And, and so I think that, they, that you've actually hit on something that is difficult for us to pin down as, as, as Christians, not, not simply as Lutherans, but as Christians and say, all right, what does, what does it look like to be a, I'll use the word, faithful Christian congregation? Um, that, may mean, that may mean numerical growth. It may not. I mean, Jesus... At one point in his ministry, fed the 5,000, and how many were with him uh, when he died? And they all forsook him <laughs> and fled. And so it, it can't, we can't simply equate it to you know, numbers or money or location or you know, how big is the endowment fund or, or whatever. None of those things fit the, the God of the scriptures quite there. Yet at the same time, we see in Acts 2 that, uh, you know, and 3,000 were added to their to their numbers, etc. Perhaps I can give some more. All right, all right. You can fill it out a little more. Um, so what I meant, like, why I joined the church, the mm-hmm. success is, I thought the faith was authentic. And mm-hmm. I thought you stood up for what you believed in. There you go. So uh-huh. what do you, like, in standing up for what you believe in, like that right. wins in this, right. that, you know, faith that, hey, we're Lutherans and we're happy. Yeah. And, and, I would, and I would call that um, faithfulness. That's, that's the word that I would use. I don't know what you would use, Scott. But um, I would call that faithfulness, that, that, I don't, that I individually or we as the church don't have to kind of um, – we don't have to hide who we are. We don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. So there's no sort of theological bait and switch, you know, or, you know, we don't, we don't do Lutheran doorbusters to get people in or anything, anything like that. I'm kind of, kind of good. You know, we could, we have like jello for doorbuster. I don't know. Coffee. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but, um, but that, but we don't think in those terms yet. I, I do certainly certainly resonate with that that idea of authenticity. Scott, you got anything to yeah, yeah, I, add to that? Or no, I think you said that? I think you said it very well. I, I think what what the temptation is is to think in quantifiable terms. You know, measuring uh, attendance patterns and uh, uh, income and building and, and and things like that. And it's very tempting for pastors and for for parishioners to think of that as being successful and uh, really being uh, you know. A, great church. And um, God does at times bless his church numerically and sure. in other ways, materially. Um, that's, that, that is for him to do. But, uh, but I, I resonate with your word faithfulness, that we want to uh, proclaim Christ um, and uh, make him known 
um, and receive his gifts, um, you know, not as, not as hypocrites, but authentically. <laughs> right. right. And, um, and, and, and know that the Holy Spirit will, will work through the word as he has promised. Yeah. You know, it's, in, it's interesting. If you, if you were to, to look kind of big picture at, at, um, at the demographics of church membership, the, our overall church membership has been in decline for a generation. I don't mean Holy Cross, but I mean, broadly speaking, the church has been in, and I don't just mean the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, the church, all congregations have been in decline for about a generation. Um, and there isn't any indication really that that is going to change. Um, so that's kind of the big picture. And I think that that's one of the reasons why that question of what does, what does success or what does faithfulness look like is so important. One of the things that happens for us um, as we uh, as we do these is that is that pastors will write us and will will ask sort of things. And one of the one of the questions or things that I have often gotten is the uh, how do I how do I stay encouraged when uh, the number of people in my county has gone down by fifty percent in the last five years. And, you know, and, and I can have every, all of the evangelism programs in the world. And if there's nobody there, <laughs> there's nothing I can do. So what does it mean to be a faithful pastor and congregation in that context? And I do think that that's one of the challenges that we're going to be facing. And one of the opportunities is to say, okay, well, so what does faithfulness look like when it doesn't look like what the rest of the world sees along the way? I think that's going to be a real interesting challenge. In the years to come, for sure. Walt. You said something yesterday that made me think um, that each person is a theologian. I always thought theologians had those funny Nehru jackets. Right. You know, and, <laughs> right. And they, they, they're in a university somewhere. Um, but I, perhaps a way of witnessing is to get the person to tell you what their theology is. Right. If a person is, you know, asking you questions, right. assuming they're asking you questions, because right. I have, you know, friends that say, "Okay, I know you go to church. I need some prayers." Right. I mean, that's, right. That's typically uh, they're hurt at that point. Right. They don't know where to turn. So the so the question and observation is kind of riffing off of something from yesterday was that uh, every person is a theologian. Each person is a theologian. Everyone has kind of a worldview of what they believe and who they are and where does God fit in that whole thing. It may be, it may be simple. It may not even be in words. But everybody has – everybody is a theologian. And, and uh, the more that we're able to kind of, I'll say, draw that out, and that's, and that's a way to engage in conversation with people. Um, that's also a uh, – uh, kind of a, a way for us as a congregation to say, okay, everyone here is a theologian. Now let's make them good ones. Let's teach and and uh, continue to to catechize and give people the tools to understand who they are in Christ. Any, uh, I think that's give a rebuttal so for that. Or not anything? at all. I think that's so important that uh, that especially in this time when, as we've been observing, the uh, the cultural fumes of Christendom are are fading and. We're, we're seeing a, a, a really a radically different society emerge. 
And the, the church's ability to effectively, if you want to use a, a word like effectively, to faithfully witness is important that we know what we believe and not just simply kind of go through motions and um, we know what it is that we, what we believe, why we believe what we believe from the Bible. You know, be able to, and, and that's, a, that's I think, something that every Christian will, will profit from, benefit from, is, is uh, attending Bible classes, reading the scriptures on their own, coming to the divine service, um, and lots of opportunities, I'm sure, that you have in order to grow in your knowledge and understanding of what the Word of God teaches and what we believe, in, and, and to be able to re- re- reflect that and bounce that off of what, what the other voices are saying in the world around us. That makes, makes good sense. All right, now the hands start to come up. I see Dennis, and then Levi, and then there was another hand over here, and then Rod. Dennis. So the so the two part question is, um, where does uh, Bible literacy and Bible classes and such in, at the congregation fit into that theolo? You know, everyone a theologian sense. And then secondly, is where does mercy fit? Take it away, Scott. Okay. <laughs> I'll talk for a second. Um, well, I do think Bible literacy is important. I don't think every, you know, it's not imperative. I'm not trying to suggest it's imperative that every Christian, every Lutheran must be an expert. And, you know, but, but to, to apply ourselves, to know as, as well as we can uh, what it is that Jesus teaches and who Jesus is and what, 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 we, what the apostles wrote. Um, I think that you'll find that your own faith will be enriched by that experience. And that will make us more effective witnesses to our family, in our vocations, to our families, in our workplaces, to our neighbors. Um, mercy, the church has always been about the task of mercy and has been noted by the pagan world uh, for its merciful action. You know, the, the, it, it was when, uh, uh, when Christianity began to expand in the very early decades and centuries that uh, they began to start, start orphanages and take care of orphans. They began to develop hospitals and things to care for the elderly and the sick. They began Christians began to go into plague-infested areas. When everyone else is running away, the Christians are staying to care. And, uh, and, and, and many, many other examples. It was uh, because of the rise of Christianity that the gladiatorial games were, were banned, finally, in Rome. You know, so where Christianity has gone and had an influence, you see a more humane society often emerge. And that's because Christians, it is embedded within the Christian way, the Christian walk, is to be is to be merciful as we have been shown mercy, uh, to show mercy to one another and, and to show compassion to one another. It's not just about laws and do you know be this way, do this. You must do these things as if we're somehow you know uh, burdened by this. But it is simply being what we are in Christ to be merciful. Amen. I don't have anything to add to that, <laughs> Levi. Yeah, uh, I think it's interesting. Just, you know, as the challenges we face as a church. How do we work to think to kind of what you said? You know, I'm a convert to Lutheranism, so there's something I like a lot about the weird kind of you know very strong Lutheran doctrine that wasn't a compromise. But how do we how do we work with other Christian groups while still maintaining our identity as Lutherans and not trying to paper over the differences? Now that's a that's a real good question. I, I appreciate that very much. It's it's interesting. You look at the you look at the twentieth century. There were kind of two ways that Christian interaction was addressed, and that's usually called ecumenicalism. That's, there's your there's your fifty seven cent word for the day, ecumenicalism. 
That and um, graffito. And graffito, right. We can't forget graffito. So, um, but one way was to say, we're going to try and make everyone the same. We're going to try to sort of wash over differences and highlight our commonalities and act as though those differences don't exist. And that was essentially the way that mainline Protestantism went. United Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, Episcopalian Church, United Church of Christ, etc. Um, and that was one way. The other way was to become more and more immersed in your own identity and to be comfortable talking about it and confessing it and, and learning to actually speak with Christians of another confession and, and kind of working through that. And one of the great uh, ecumenists of the 20th century was a Lutheran pastor professor named Herman Zasse. And Herman Zasse was, I'll I'll say, as old a fuddy-duddy Lutheran as you're ever likely to find. And yet he had incredible respect and influence among church bodies all over the world. Why? Because he had a very clear confession, first first of Christ and of kind of what that means in a, in a dying and struggling world. So now how does that look at the local level? I think that's, and, and honestly, I've never been particularly good at figuring that out. So when you figure it out, let me know. Okay. That would be awesome. Any other thoughts on that? I think you answered it really well. I, I, I do think though, without papering over our important confessional difference, it would be helpful to find other confessional Christians, people that have a respect for what I would say biblical orthodoxy, who may be found within uh, the Presbyterian Church of America, or of you know whatever of the or, you know Greek Orthodox Church, Roman Catholic Church, or, or Southern Baptist Church, uh, people that have some kind of respect for uh, the the creed, the church. You know, you, there are there are journals out like First Things Journal and, and um, Touchstone Magazine which are trying to seek ways for us to not stop being Lutheran, but being able to be Lutheran comfortably and confessionally, but being able to work with in some ways and cooperate even in some ways with um, our, our fellow believers who believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Not all those who go by the name Christian these days uh, would fit those categories that I'm making. I'm, I'm seeing that we might have more commonality with someone in... Uh, like a Russell Moore, who, who's from the Southern Baptist Convention, who writes for Touchstone, um, you know, I might have more in common with him than I might have with someone who goes by the name Lutheran, but uh, denies the virgin birth, for instance. Um, so I think that the ecumenism is, is looking different, and the, the, board, the lines are not denominational as much as they are confessional. And, hmm. uh, and we're becoming... As, I, as I've said, and my belief is that it will become more and more challenging to be a confessional Christian in this, in this, in this age that's, that's coming and that we're in. And so having friends who share uh, certain core beliefs, even without necessary, without, we're not, without saying, you know, hey, you know, it's unimportant, uh, but, you know, the differences, but, but let's talk about those differences. But at the same time, let's make a united confession on what marriage is or something like that. I think those are some ways that yeah. this can look. All right. I'm going to take uh, one more question, and then we're going to do our uh, joy bringers because okay. I don't want to forget that. Rod, I'm yeah. sure this will be a short one. Yeah. 
So, so to kind of summarize that, we're, we're in a world where there's more information available now than ever. And, and at the same time, there is less kind of cross-pollination. There's, there's less of an understanding of where we fit in that, in that world. And, and that's kind of sometimes the language that I like to use in, in speaking about this is to say that what we do as the Christian church is give people a lens through which they look at the world. The lens of, of, of Christ, of the gospel, of a God who loves us, who gives himself to us. And as a result, that changes and shapes everything that they say and do as a human being. And, and so how to get into those silos, <laughs> if you will, is, is a very difficult thing and, and also a tremendous opportunity. The way that we typically end our shows is, is um, one of our uh, – Scott and I's kind of goals in doing this is to ha- be an encouragement to other pastors – so uh, all joking aside, we, we actually don't kind of present ourselves as crabby Lutherans. Um, but, but we want to be an encouragement to fellow, uh, fellow pastors that are in the ministry, as well as anyone else who's listening to this show. And so kind of the last section that we typically do is called our joy bringers. And so we ask the question, what's bringing you joy this week? <laughs> um, and that may be something very uh, theological um, it may be something not theological at all. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how we end the question. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You go first. All right. So, so the question of what's bringing you joy this week, what is bringing me joy this week, in addition to having my, uh, my dear friend here and the fact that I didn't have to preach this morning, that definitely brought me joy. Um, uh, but what really is bringing me joy is California sunshine. <laughs> now, why, you may ask, is that bringing me joy? Well, I had to uh, uh, go back to the Midwest for a, uh, for a funeral this week, and so I had about three or four days of, of sort of Wisconsin gray. And for those of you that are, uh, that are from the Midwest, you kind of know that, uh, that you have a, a sort of a gray pallor that, is, that descends upon the world in about December, and it doesn't really lift until about the end of March. And so uh, uh, even, even though it's been a little bit rainy here and, and such, I am really, really glad to be back in the sunshine. That is for sure. So what's bringing you joy, Scott? Pray well, tell. I, I don't have anything quite that uh, marvelous. Um, <laughs> but it, it, is, it is making me happy. So I'll, t- I'll share this. Um, this is a great gift idea. This was a Christmas gift that I purchased for my son who's 20 years old and it's a great idea, if I may say so. And uh, but I encourage you. You might, you know, if there's a man in your life that uh, uh, you know uh, really likes uh, uh, smoke dried meats. Okay. So if there is a man, yes, that's okay. my point. In fact, the, the the website and the product is called Man Crate. Okay. <laughs> and so what I ordered for my son was this Man Crate of jerky, and it had kangaroo jerky, elk jerky. It had pheasant jerky. It had all kinds of exotic meats. And the best thing about it was it came in a wooden crate that was nailed shut with a crowbar that you had to use to open it with no instructions, <laughs> which is an important part. And I paid an extra fee so that they would wrap the whole thing up in duct tape. <laughs> and that's bringing me joy. That was fun. 
That is an awesome gift. I bow down to your gift-giving skills. So uh, that's uh, that is awesome. Well, this has been a uh, this has been a great pleasure and honor to do a uh, a special live edition of the Crux of the Matter. Do you have any final words for our dear listeners? Guys? No, none at all. None whatsoever. Well, that's pretty typical. And uh, and and with that note, we will say peace be with you all. Thank you. Yes. Goodbye. All right.